You know, the thing about pre-recording interviews is that you get these artists in the morning. And, you know, many of them aren't morning people. So I'm going to ask <laughs> Alan von Nickak, are you a morning person, sir? Funny enough, I actually am. And I think with a four-year-old boy uh, that wakes up at like five o'clock in the morning, we just don't have any option. <laughs> okay. Well, let's introduce you. Last time we spoke, what? Two years ago? When, when's the last time we did Three years ago. Seriously? It was three years ago. I mean, yeah, we've been playing crazy. your songs to death on radio. Seriously. When you've got <laughs> local, Thank you. especially English, good English music. Every chain, I belong to you, face to face. We've played them. I, I was so happy when at last this man brings out some new music so that we can have a life, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, but let's introduce you. Like, let's assume they've all forgotten you in three years from now. Tell them who is Alan van Nikak, besides an awesome surname, obviously. <laughs> uh, thanks, Janine. Um, so I am a husband. I'm a dad to I'm a worship pastor, and my wife and I serve as campus pastors at our local church in Joburg. How's this Afrikaans surname with this poor me guy? How, how did that happen? So the English-speaking but Afrikaans surname, I can explain that. My mom's Portuguese and my dad is actually Afrikaans. So I can speak some Afrikaans. I'm not really fluent, but I can't speak Afrikaans. But I grew up in an English home, my mom being Portuguese and being around our families, Portuguese family, we just spoke English. Listen, with you being a, a dad and all, but uh, is it a son or a daughter? So I've got a 10-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old son. You see, so you've had both experiences and you've had 10 years of figuring out how to be a dad. Nah? Cause, no, uh, <laughs> and I think you need all the time you can get to be a father in the first place and walk in God's shoes because, I mean, you represent oh God way. as a father whether you want to or not. Thanks. What's been the hardest thing yeah. for you about being a dad to real, actual, living human beings that you love so much? Jeez, it's crazy because you always have to think, you know, Janine, your, your kids are watching you. You're an example. And especially being in ministry and having that um, title of being a pastor uh, and just a representative of the kingdom of God, your children are watching you all the time. They're like sponges. So just to live a righteous life and a righteous example for your kids to follow is something that my wife and I try to strive to do as much as what we possibly can. But then obviously we've got the, um, I, I, I joke with my wife, I say to my wife, you know, my daughter is 10, but I feel like I'm dealing with a 16-year-old right now. <laughs> um, but it's been a challenge, but it's also been good, obviously, first-time dad, first-time mom. Um, but it's a blessing. It's a blessing. You know, children are a blessing from God. And just seeing that and seeing the fruit of that and seeing just their the identities and their individualism, if that's a word, it's, it's been a blessing to see. I'm just thinking, especially if you say 10 going on 16, yes, our kids have got access to not only information, but a variety of philosophies, you know, out there. And, and it's not like when, when we grew up or the previous generations grew up that you were exposed to Christianity and that was normal and that was it and everyone else, you know, oh well, they're out there, but you don't know enough. These days they know yeah. so much as they actually learn it in school. And, and you've got to, it's, it's, it's not enough just to know about this Jesus, huh? If you don't have an actual relationship as a father, do they ask you interesting questions? 
Oh, Lord. You know, I'm saying Lord because the Lord really tested yeah. me in certain things. Um, my child is very straightforward, my daughter. So, for example, there's been situations where it's happened where, I mean, we're all human. We, we lose patience. We, we have a moment where we don't treat someone correctly. But, um, you know, my daughter would turn around and say to me, Dad, you are a worship pastor. You're an example of Jesus. You can't talk to people like that. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I used to, I used to joke and say, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit and then I have my wife, but now I've got the Holy Spirit, my wife's voice and my daughter's voice speaking to me and correcting me when they see things are wrong. But then, you know, I've got my son as well, who's so straightforward and hard headed. Um, and also with regards to you mentioning the example of, you know, your life and, and, and this Jesus that we need to represent. You know, your kids follow you, your kids look at you, your kids watch you, and they replicate you. And the thing is, with with God, you have a false representation if you if you have a false representation at home, and your kids carry through that over into their lives. Uh, it just messes them up later. So what we as a family strive to do is to make sure that they see everything is lived and not just spoken of. Yeah, but it's still a joy, isn't it, to see then that little light come up in their eyes, that you recognize that they're speaking to someone. It's not just this mist out there or this concept that they actually, especially when they pray, when you hear that they're actually connecting with the king of the universe. I mean, what a privilege. It's, if I have to tell you my rela- the relationship that my children have with God, you know, Janine, it would blow your mind. My daughter at two or three years old, would talk to us about the fact that she would see things uh, spiritually. She would speak about Jesus. Now, just remember that obviously she's too young to be in in our kids' church. Obviously, it was in baby baby church. But I mean, what would a two or three-year-old really know that she can speak in detail and tell us about how she's experiencing Jesus, how she's seeing him with a, a man with a white robe, and uh, a purple, she couldn't even say the words properly, like a purple color over his chest. And she said he had like markers on his hand, uh, on his hands, because she couldn't, she didn't know what the saw was or a, a hole was in, in, in a hand or a wound. She would speak about his, uh, his eyes being beautiful and she couldn't, she couldn't say the word. She said it looked like diamonds. And my daughter at two or three would speak about these spiritual experiences that she was having. But then you're jealous, aren't you? Like jealous of your own child. Yes, like, I want like, that God. Eventually, my wife and I were like, okay, so what did Jesus show you today? <laughs> uh, it, was, it became like that. And, you know, obviously, as she, get, she got older, she matured. Um, but that childlike faith, it was such a blessing and an honor to see because she was experiencing things that we know is real. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but then you're also part of church. And in church, even as worship pastor or anyone who's on stage leading the worship, your heart desire is that it's not just a song, that people connect with the king of the universe, especially now that we can be back in churches and we can have that real physical experience yeah. again. Is it hard for you? Um, do people always connect? Are there days that is harder than other days maybe that when you worship, you've got to sort of drag people there or how do you experience it? Look, I, there are those moments, you know, you are going to have moments and, and I encourage worship leaders, which some worship leaders will message me and will say, you know, Alan, do you get moments where you feel like you're just standing on the battlefield and you feel like nothing's there, nothing's happening. And I have to remind them, you know, at the end of the day, when Jehoshaphat sent the worshipers forward, he sent the, the worshipers forward to fight the battle and declare that the battle is won. You know, it doesn't mean that your worship 
uh, that you're going to feel like you you can you can do it. It doesn't it's it doesn't mean just because you're on a platform or you're leading worship that it's always going to be great. It's something that I had to learn from the beginning. You know, God will also test you. You will go through tests where you know I went through a specific season uh, in 2015 where the Lord removed me off of uh, the platform of leading worship for a month because of a situation that happened. And I just said, Lord, I don't understand this. This, I've got proof that, you know, I wasn't involved in any of the stuff that was being discussed. And, and the Lord said to me, I was off for four weeks. And you know, Janine, I, I went to church every single Sunday in those four weeks, leading worship for 15 years. And you have the congregation asking you, why aren't you singing? You know, the last night of that four weeks being off, the Lord said to me, Alan, I wanted to see if you still had a song to sing, even if you weren't on a platform. Oh, wow. And I was, Sure, Lord. He said to me, I wanted to see if you would still worship if there was no spotlight on you. And then I realized then, then, you know, regardless of the test, regardless of how you feel, regardless of the things that are happening in your life, they, you have to lift your voice. Your, your voice of worship has to rise above the loudness of your circumstances. So there are going to be moments where you don't feel like you want to be on stage, that it's hard, that it's difficult, that you're going through trials, that you're going through tribulations. But the key is to make sure that the sound of your worship is louder than everything going on around you. I do, though, want to ask you, with um, COVID and with the effect it had on our people and on our church, did you find that it had an effect on people's worship as well? I'm, I'm specifically asking about the morale of the people while they're standing there after a week being pounded by circumstances and, and then having this opportunity to worship. Do you find that, that some people... Um, we're in a in a in a very low place, and that it affected their their worship as well. Yeah, firstly, one one of the things I want to say to you is fear came in. Fear crept into the church like it was nobody's business. Satan really brought in the spirit of fear to to make believers believe that there is no hope. And I mean, at the stage, I thought, how are we going to ever have church again? Mm. Um, no, then you had people come back to church. And then you, you had people wanting to sit five meters apart from each other, not even one meter because of fear. And I realized then, then, you know, um, the masks, you know, yes, we understand the health and, and the regulations and all of that stuff. But symbolically, you think, you know, that's the enemy trying to shut our worship up. And it did affect the worship of the congregation. And I, I think the body of Christ, um, at large, because people were too scared to worship. And you know what, Janine, the one thing I did see over these last two years, is the real effect of loss. There are so many people that lost income, that lost jobs, that lost family. I mean, there were families that were wiped out at a stage. Mom and dad leaving two kids behind with families. Mm -hmm. So you had the reality, you had the reality of people standing in your congregation going through that and them still having to find the courage and the faith to lift their hands up in worship. And it's difficult, uh, leading in an atmosphere like that or leading in an environment like that. Knowing that this is reality, Lord, you have to come through in these moments of worship and touch these people. They need to encounter you so that they can be lifted up of what they're facing. So it was difficult. And you, what kept you there, you know, when when you're in the same circumstances as everyone sitting in front of you, going through the same hardships they are, but somehow you've got to find that authentic and sincere place of worship in spite of it all. What kept you sane? Can I tell you some one thing that the Lord said to me, you know, when, when the first lockdown happened, the Lord just said to me, Alan, in this season, you're going to see the real worship leaders, the real worshipers that will still worship 
with no light on them, with no church full of 20,000 people, with no uh, events happening, worship conferences with 50,000, 60,000 people. You're going to see now a season where even God himself will see that these people are real worshipers worshiping behind a closed door where there's no one filming you. Wow. And that was challenging for me because I said, Lord, you know what? That's so true. I, you know, I think lockdown made us all do introspection of where we, where we are at. And I just realized then, then, you know, I had to dig deep personally. I, I got rooted in the word of God. I got rooted in prayer. And even not that I wasn't before, but it just that the lockdown, the first lockdown created a, an intimacy place for people to actually get back into the secret place. And I took advantage of that. My family took advantage of that. And, you know, I just realized there and then in those moments, you know, Janine, we can have everyone die around us. We can face death. We can face loss. We can, our houses can be taken away. Our cars can be taken away. But one thing no one can ever take away is Christ Jesus from you. Mm -hmm. And that to me in those moments were like, hey, this is, he is the solid foundation. This is the foundation that we stand on, the rock of all ages. How can I be fearful or worry about loss when I've still got Jesus Christ? I heard something this past week. Someone was saying, darkness can't overcome darkness. And, and hate can't overcome hate. Darkness is overcome by light and hate is overcome by love. And that our other weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Nah? So, so it must take something. It's not easy. That's why we're talking war. This whole thing to me, the isolation thing, the agendas behind all of this. Um, it felt to me as a Christian like full fledged war. And it's, there's no apathy here to stay, um, rooted in Jesus no. and worded. And, and also, uh, what was, I think, a good thing is that these carpeni boca, you know, that people, people mm. had to decide. So is church important? Is that fellowship important? And people who went to church just because it's the right thing to do, just, you know, it's a culture thing. They felt no yeah. inclination to go to any kind of length to actually stay rooted in. And those who fell away stayed away. But there were quite yeah. a few new people. Did you get new people um, that now suddenly yeah. decided that life is too much? Let's try God. <laughs> we definitely saw that. And you know what, what we saw, Janine, is we saw the genuine, desperate and hungry people. People that are expectant and people that are hungry for God to really move on their lives and in their lives and are, de are desperate to cry out for help and knowing that the Lord is the only strength that they can actually rely on. And we did see that. We saw an increase of people online because obviously with this digital age and what COVID brought in, churches went online. And I can't tell you how we've had people from all over the world uh, reach out in those services and in those live streams and uh, in our online church platforms, you know, where we could reach the people that are in Russia, that are in uh, weird, well, not weird, but different uh, demographics of, of countries and nations that don't normally log on to live streams that you would think. And it, it really, you could see that people really reached out in this time and, and people got saved. I think there was, a, I definitely believe that in this season, there's been a specific harvest of souls that have come into the kingdom. But another thing that that came up now is the hard questions start coming up, especially when it comes to healing, because we're talking COVID-19 and Christians are dying and Christians are being healed. And we don't know why, you know, and, and, and Christians are asking the question, but why would my loved one now be going home when right next door, the same amount of people prayed for them 
and they lived. They turned around, they got healed, everything. I'm sure that's one of the, the things that was laid at your door as well. Yes. And you know what? I'm so, I'm, with my faith, Jean, I'm like a child when it comes to faith because I've learned to accept that you're not going to have answers for things in life. I've learned to accept that you're not going to always understand why things happen to you, why things, ha- things happen to the, your loved ones. Why are you experiencing death? Why are you experiencing this? Why are you experiencing loss? I've learned to actually respond to people now and say, you know what? I've come firsthand to know that Christ is my strength and my rock, but I can't explain to you and tell you why the Lord called your son home, for example, or your wife home, for example. And this might not be, should I say, wise counsel in a sense, but I would tell people at the end of the day, you're going to be face to face with the King of Kings mm. and speak to him when you get there. Not that it will give you comfort now. And with the only encouraging thing I say to them is that, you know, death is never a final answer. If you have family members that are born again, that know Jesus, that have, have just passed on, I always say to them, be encouraged that it's not a goodbye and it's not a final goodbye forever. Know that on, you're going to wake up in eternity and you're going to be met with those people. Mm-hmm. It's not forever. And what about your faith when it comes to this? So you've prayed for three people who've died. And the fourth one comes and says, will you pray for me and for my loved one for the same thing that you've prayed for three people who died so far? Is your faith affected? Yo, you know what? How do I answer this without sounding weird, controversial? I, I think anyone who, who would say that, who would pray for someone and say, you know, maybe there's an inkling of a question in you to say, Hey, Lord, why didn't you do this? If, if anyone says that, that they, they, they've not experienced that or don't think about that, then they, I want to tell you that you're lying. Liar. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, we're human and we're, we, we're still, we're still, you know, in this world. So at the end of the day, um, for me, I've had moments like that and I have to be real. I've always been, I've always said to people, my wife and I are very transparent when it comes to walking around and mentoring people and being real with people in, in our walk with God, that we'll always be transparent. I mean, we had, we had, uh, a miscarriage and we were praying, man. We were saying, Lord, uh, this baby is from you. We know the child's name. Our daughter was praying as well. And we were like, this, we're not going to lose this child. We've, we've, we've stood in faith. I was, de- I was declared infertile, uh, because I, I ended up contracting mumps through my daughter when she was three or four. Sure. And, um, you know, we, we were in hospital and I was like, Lord, I believe that this child is going to be fine. And Taryn was wheeled in and guess what? Baby gone. So do I say, she's like, Lord, you're not a faithful God. You, your promises aren't true. No, I can't. Because at the end of the day, I don't know what, what, what was going to happen in, in that future of that child's life. You know, Janine, when, when we got home from the hospital, my daughter, as I think she was 2015, she was four, three or four. She came up to Taryn, pointed at her stomach, not knowing that she was in hospital, not knowing that Taryn had a miscarriage. Because how does a three year old know that? She pointed to Taryn's stomach and said, Brother with Jesus. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And, you know, I've, I've learned, I've learned over this last 16 years of being in ministry that I can't question God and I can't explain to everyone why certain things happen. But I can tell you that regardless of how hard it is, God is still faithful. God is still true. God is still just. And you need to just choose to believe that you're going to walk out of whatever you're facing and, and the depression that you're in. Hmm. Let's get to this song. Open the heavens. What's the story? 
So I opened the heavens, funny enough, I was on the platform at church and I was busy leading the song called Let the Heavens Open in, uh, in worship, Kerry Job's song. And as the worship song ended, the Holy Spirit just started speaking to me about lyrics. And I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm hearing lyrics right now. And I, I, um, I hope this is something that I'm going to use in the future because it sounds quite good. And the Lord just said to me, this will be your next song. And I was like, okay, so I've got two lines of something that I feel like sound that works melodically. I went home. I, I started writing with my wife, uh, someone that's our worship team as well. And we, we concluded the song, but this song specifically, Janine, I didn't want it to be a song like face to face where it was me focused. I'm going to run into your arms. I'm going to, you know, it wasn't me, me, me focused, but I wanted this song specifically to be just about being in awe of the presence of God. You know, so it starts off. It's, I'd like to say it's like a story. It starts off where you're going to hear the lyrics of the song saying, I'm here for a fresh encounter. I need you, God. And then in the pre-chorus goes, here I am. I'm presenting myself. But in the chorus, it's saying your presence, your glory surrounds me. It reminds me that I am yours. And, you know, there was a sermon that I heard once that says everything you need is found in the presence of God. And I based this song specifically on it being just a pure worship song, glorifying God and his presence.